So just a, a little bit of insight into my world. Um, when you're Asian and you speak with a slight Southern drawl, um, it's sometimes too much for others to compute. <laughs> like it's just, it's not a category that many people have thought of, right? Uh, and it's, it's especially true of, of non-Southerners because they, they pick up probably more easily than a lot of you, they pick up on that slight Southern drawl, you know, and, and uh, it's probably most apparent if you were to go with me to, to like a Chinese or Japanese restaurant or, or market. Um, a couple of years ago, I was at one of my favorite Chinese places in Mobile, and, and at this point, I had been there multiple times. And so one of the workers who I'd seen there, and, and I noticed, I always notice, you know, when they're trying to figure me out. So she was sitting over, you know, a couple tables down trying to figure me out. And, and so she came over to my table and she said, where are you from? Now, as, a, as an aside, you need to know that if you ask this question to an ethnic minority, there's bound to be a two-level answer. You know, this, where you're from and where you're from from, right? So... I'm from from South Korea. That's where I was born. But I was raised in Alabama. And, and I told her this, and she got this look of like, I knew it, you know. And, and she said, that's what I thought. You Asian, but you really white. <laughs> now, maybe not the most PC thing for her to say, right? But... She didn't seem to be bothered by that, but I, I get what she was saying. I am this sort of cultural conundrum. I'm Asian, hair, eyes, complexion, you know, unquestionably Asian. Like, nobody would look at me and go, mm, you know, maybe he's mixed. No, fully Asian. But I present with, with clothes outside of, you know, Sunday uh, clergy attire, I present with the clothes, speech, and maybe even other ways about me, maybe as a middle-class Southern white boy from Opelika. And that sort of conundrum, in a way, is what Jesus is talking about here in Luke chapter 13. It's this way that we tend to ascribe identity to ourselves and to others based on externals. You know, it would seem like this lady at the restaurant uh, just had kind of two categories for me, right? Asian or, or white. Where, where do I belong? Where do I fit? And at the time of Jesus, there were two categories. There was Jewish and saved, or Gentile and doomed. And the general Jewish belief was that all of Israel, or, or at least nearly all of Israel, would be saved at the end of all things, that merely being a descendant of a people group was enough to solidify spiritual identity. And really, it's an issue that we see today. It's, it's assumed spiritual identity because of where you were born, because of how you were raised, um, what you know. It's, it's saying, I'm saved, I belong to Jesus, simply because you were born into a Christian home or because you were raised in the church or because you know a little bit about the Bible. It's like a, a court judge getting pulled over um, by a police officer for speeding and then saying to that officer, you know, don't you know who I am? As if that's going to, you know, as if he's above the law. And But we know better than that. Jesus says something here that presses into that 
And it acts, I think, as a good sort of stress test for us as to whether we are living under an assumed spiritual identity ourselves. So let's take a look at this. <clears throat> Luke chapter 13. He says, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. It sounds kind of like a, a treasure hunt riddle or something, right? Um, so what does Jesus mean? Strive to enter through the narrow door. Well, the first thing to note, um, and kind of my primary place that I want to camp out here is this word strive. And the word strive in the Greek is agonitsemai, agonitsemai. And as you might be able to pick out from that, it's where we get the word agonize or agony. It's this, the same word that Paul used in his letter to the Colossians when he talked about the bodily sufferings that he faced in bringing the gospel to them. It's also the same word that he used when he was uh, in prison and reflecting on his ministry and awaiting execution. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have agonizomai. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. Agonizomai. It's a word of battle. It's a word of, of fighting, of struggling, of wrestling with something. And so Jesus is in a word saying, this journey of faith, this following me, this, this becoming more like me, it will be a struggle. You won't just show up and it happen. And you have to decide if it's worth it. No one gets the kingdom because of proximity or where they were born, or what kind of parents they had, or how many Bible verses that they've memorized, or if you had a great experience at summer camp, you know, or how long you've been going to church, or how well you articulate and defend Orthodox Christian belief. But if we are indeed pursuing Christ, that pursuit is an agonizomai. It's a struggle, a battle. It's a battle of becoming and unbecoming. It's unbecoming, the self-centered, self serving, idolatrous, externally focused people of God, or people of the world. It's becoming the people of God. It's becoming, you know, the loving and, and joy-filled and peace-bringing, kindness-extending, goodness-dwelling, self-controlled people of the kingdom of God. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Secondly, um, we should note here that the entry point is narrow. Strive to enter through the narrow door. There are limitations. And there is this temptation to assume that at the end of all things, many will be saved. Like the question that was posed to Jesus. And it's an understandable thought. I mean, we don't want a narrow door. We want a wide door. Bring in the masses, Lord, right? Bring in everybody. Let's, let's save everyone. And yet Jesus pulls no punches with what he says here. Not everyone will make it through. And if you're kind of bristling at that, that kind of hits you the wrong way, here's what I want for you to really hear. Jesus casts a world-sized net. But not every fish will be fit for the table. Said differently, 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And this is moving a little off topic, but I, I do want to say it anyway, that it's, 
It isn't his anger or wrath that narrows the doorway to the kingdom. It's us and our blindness and our unwillingness to say, Lord, lead me there and lead me through it. It's our tendency to put our our faith in the externals and what we know or what we've done or where we're from and to disregard the way of Jesus, humility and self-sacrifice and and self-giving and service and forgiveness and love. Now, I want you to pay attention here because Jesus makes this remark. He says, people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. And in saying this, he both corrects this errant idea that only Israel will be saved, and he actually casts a larger vision for who will. Jews and Gentiles, Israelite and non-Israelite descendants. The table of the kingdom of God will host people who these Jews in Jesus' time wouldn't have fathomed sitting there, wouldn't have fathomed sitting at the table of the kingdom. I wonder if we today don't also suffer from a lack of imagination for who will gather at the table of the kingdom. Listen to the way Eugene Peterson translates these verses here, Jesus' words here. You'll find yourselves out in the cold, strangers to grace, You'll watch Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets march into God's kingdom. You'll watch outsiders stream in from east, west, north, and south, and sit down at the table of God's kingdom. And all the time, you'll be outside looking in, wondering what happened. This is the great reversal. The last in line put at the head of the line, and the so-called first ending up last. That line, strangers to grace, that he used there, I think is so potent. It it conveys this idea that, that though we might talk about grace, the fact is, a lot of us don't know it. We would much more easily and quickly imagine ourselves sitting at the banquet table of the kingdom than we would our enemies. And yet Jesus gives us this great reversal. He essentially says, yeah, it's, an, it's a narrow door. Not many will fit through, but those who do will be among the last that you can imagine, right? That's why it's a narrow door. There's this uh, wonderful scene in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, in which the, the main character um, takes a trip to this space between heaven and hell, and he sees what he calls solid spirits, and these solid spirits are the people of heaven. And, and one of the spirits that he encounters is, is just unbelievably beautiful, right? And she's, she's beautifully clothed. She has this shining and flowing train that, that follows her and all of these other spirits that dance around her and throw flowers at her feet. And the, the, the main character turns to his guide, this person with him, and he's, he's trying to figure out who this woman is because surely she was famous, she must have been a person of great renown on earth to be this brilliant in heaven. And as God says, no, you wouldn't have heard of her. Her name was Sarah Smith. You see, fame here and fame on earth are two different things. But she's one of the great ones here 
because of the kind of love by which she loved. And that's what Jesus means when he says to strive to enter through the narrow door. You know, we don't get there by bloodline or upbringing or knowledge. We don't get there by piety or who we know. We don't get there by place or position or power or prestige. It's, It's actually just the opposite. That's why Jesus says it's a narrow door. It's through emptying ourselves in humility and counting others as more important than ourselves. We get there by loving God in heaven and loving others on earth in the way and the example of Jesus. And that others on earth, that includes everyone. Every outsider and every enemy from east, west, north, and south, loving them not out of religious obligation, not because the pastor told you to, but out of a deep and true recognition that the kingdom of God may be theirs also. So what does this mean for us? Well, the first thing that I want to point out is that when Jesus says strive, remember, agonizomai, strive, struggle, He isn't saying that this striving is against one another. And and I say that because if you're anything like me, I I confess that I'm terribly quick to to label others and to write them off. I'm terribly quick to strive against the very people that he commands me to love. And I so easily forget Ephesians 6, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so I would submit to you that our primary place of agony at semi, of struggle, begins with prayer. Are you, am I, are we cultivating a life of prayer? Are you teaching your children to pray? Are you talking to God about the person that you're struggling to love? Are, are you talking to him about your, your family, your marriage, your job, your, your own needs and wants and desires and struggles? Are you bringing him all of yourself, not the buttoned up you, right? Not the false self, but you and all of your complex brokenness and brilliance. Are you bringing that to him in prayer? Second, the struggle, the agonizomai, is in giving your attention to the last of this world, the last who will be first, your full attention. Yes, sure, financial giving is a part of that. Missions organizations and missionaries require our financial support to keep doing what they're doing. But also, I mean your eyes and your ears, your heart. I mean battling against your you-centric schedule, battling against those things that would cause you to turn inward instead of outward. I'm, and I'm preaching to myself here to serve the least, the, the hungry, the poor, the sick, and the imprisoned. Extend more than just your lips and your words, but extend your hands in service to them too. Several years ago, I, I saw a special on a news channel um, on a news network. I won't tell you which news network because I don't want you to label me, right? But it was about this chef in India who uh, witnessed a person one day out of hunger eating their own human waste. And it changed the course of his life. And he left his career as a chef, um, but he still cooked food. But instead, he began cooking large batches of food early in the morning 
and he'd load them up in his car and then literally drive around town to serve a warm meal to the homeless, to the mentally ill and destitute, uh, to the elderly, those people that were left uncared for by society. And not only that, but he would embrace them. He began each encounter with a hug. In a, in a culture in which these people were considered unclean, unfit to touch, he touched them. He not only would embrace them, he bathed them. And he would shave them and cut their hair. He, he dignified their presence in this world. Everybody, he said, has got 5.5 liters of blood. I'm just a human being. What if the kingdom of God is so far beyond externals that just through that narrow door on the other side, what if we see in one another isn't primarily Asian or white, um, it isn't race or occupation or politics or socioeconomic status, it isn't even personal history, how somebody may have wronged you, an enemy. What if we see in one another unencumbered, unhindered, What if we see is the overwhelming presence and imprint of God when we look at each other? That's what theologians call the Imago Dei. It's the very image of God. And Jesus is telling you and he's telling me, Agonitsamai, to struggle and strive for that. That it isn't about who's in and who's out, you know, who's saved, who isn't. But it's about what the writer of Hebrews called a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It cannot be divided by the labels or expectations and assumptions of this world. And it's, it's about the people of God, the church, becoming so united with Christ that to move out into this world is to bring the kingdom here, heaven to earth. And so I'll end with Jesus' words from um, the Gospel of John, chapter 10. He said this twice. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. So may we hear and see and take down into the core of our being this truth that our greatest work in this life is to strive and struggle and battle our way to that door, to Jesus. Learning from him, loving like him, serving like him, becoming like him. And may we not stumble over the externals of the wide way and pursue the heart of the narrow way. May the kingdom we find in and through him make its way more and more into the world through your life and through mine. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.